The world around us is changing faster than ever before. From automation, artificial intelligence, big data, geolocation, to every aspect of how we work and live. This includes data. Welcome to Data Gurus Podcast. Our mission is to bring you a real-life perspective on what's happening in the industry and how successful companies and individuals in this niche navigate through the sea of change. Encouraging you to be bold, be brave, and be fearless. Let's navigate the data ecosystem together. Welcome to the Data Gurus Podcast. I'm excited for part two of our series regarding sales and understanding the psychology of sales, helping us kind of think through how do we build and grow the sales function to scale our businesses. And I'm, we're excited to have, number one, my co-host, Adam Jolly. Welcome, Adam. Yeah, it's awesome to be back. I'm yeah. so excited with this series. Cool. Well, I'm glad you said yes. It was instantaneous, <laughs> which is awesome. Thank you. And we're joined today by Julie Kurd, who is the VP of Sales and Revenue from CMB. Welcome, Julie. Hello. Welcome. I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Yeah, we also have Kenny Thompson, who is Director of Client Solutions at Schlesinger Group. Hi, everyone. Hello. Thank you. And then we also have uh, Ricky Odella, who is the VP of Sales at Lucid. Hey, how's it going? Thanks for having me. Hey, Ricky. How you doing? Doing well, thanks. Good. Well, thank you for taking the time to join us today. This is such an important topic. We spent a lot of time talking about research, methodology, data quality, all these key topics that really affect so much of our core business. But sales is such an integral function for our business to grow, scale, and actually, in many ways, be the voice of the customer. You know, one of the things that we have seen is that sales might differ as it relates to if you're selling you know, a SaaS-based platform versus a non-SaaS-based platform. And we'd just love to kick off and talk a little bit about your points of view as it relates to that. Julie, do you want to start? Sure. So CMB is strategic consultancy. We're not a SaaS company, as opposed to you'll hear that point of view later. I think the biggest difference is that our process begins with the client versus with the product. And the sales process for consulting is typically based on relationship selling. That makes sense. So it's more about finding the pain point, understanding what the pain is, linking the right solution, and being able to create that value add to the client. Exactly. It's about establishing long-term relationships. You focused on different kinds of problem solving and different kinds of longer-term play. Uh, let's start with Ricky. Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I think I have a unique history and perspective here coming from a traditional kind of more services ad hoc sales environment. I was with SSI for about 10 years and then moving to Lucid, which does both, but is definitely more of a software subscription focused organization. And they're both similar and different at the same time. I would say where they are different is on a more kind of ad hoc type of sales environment you're typically dealing with fewer stakeholders. It's like selling to a person versus an enterprise. And the cycle can be a lot faster, right? It's not unusual that you could potentially get a request today and sell a project uh, tonight or tomorrow, at least in the kind of sample space that I come from. Whereas selling the software subscription, much longer sales cycle, many more stakeholders. So kind of navigating an organization and understanding Uh, who's a decision maker, who's an influencer, who cares about what and why. 
and kind of building that advocacy just takes time and it's quite a bit different. It can be very rewarding once you achieve that contract and also kind of helping a customer adopt a platform that really helps them change their enterprise to move faster or to save money. So I love both, but learning about enterprise software and having that experience with Lucid has definitely been valuable. Yeah. And I, I would imagine if you sell something one time and it's reoccurring, you know, you can, I mean, you can't set it and forget it, but it's almost like you've built that value. You have another, potentially another group of people that are servicing the business and you can continue to build your portfolio of sales, I would imagine. Yeah. There's definitely the scale effects of having commitments, if you will. Like I think we all know in the business that uh, research takes work, you know, managing sample executing a research project from design to programming to data collection to analytics and delivery and all that takes work. So not dismissing the fact that like once you sell something, the work isn't done, but that's where our partners and customer success come in. And then hopefully enable sales to focus on the kind of growth, looking for uh, new offices, new channels, new customers altogether, and working together with the organization to uh, help the customer succeed. Ricky, you mentioned enterprise sales, and I think that is one of a a big driver, I think, with SaaS, but it's also, it's so different from that transactional world, you know, and it's, I know when I, in the past where I've been in sample situations, when I'm selling, it's, I've got to get five, six bids a day and it's, you know, transactional, but you have six chances to win or six chances to lose every single day. And that can be so different from that enterprise level. And that's, I wanted to go with to Kenny. Kenny, you were at uh, Dynata for a little while before going into Schlesinger Group. And I know you're doing more of that enterprise type selling now. What type of mind shift is that when you think about Kenny from going to that transactional and enterprise and even looking like even before MR research, you know, you've had kind of a variety of sales positions. What is that mindset of transactional, like get the bids and and go through versus like into that enterprise, that longer sales cycle? Yeah. Great question, Adam. I think it's really exciting time to be at Schlesinger group and the fact that we can offer qualitative and quantitative solutions to our clients at scale. It's, really exciting in the fact that we are growing these relationships long-term at the facility level and through engagements, through bidding and so forth. So I think it's a lot of touch points, but which makes it more important to have that human first relationship, identify their needs because one size doesn't fit all for each client. Schlesinger's done a really good job of having a comprehensive solution set for the industry and our clients so that we can provide them solutions for all their needs and hopefully in the future, you know, everything that they can do, they can come to Schlesinger Group for. So I think it's really exciting time to be at Schlesinger Group uh, and developing the relationships, the human first connections that will be long lasting. And when they think of market research, they think of Schlesinger Group at the end of the day is our goal. Kenny, it's interesting that you said human first, because I think we, Julie and I were, and Adam were talking about the fact that you're such a people person and kind of really connect through emotion. And Julie was mentioning she was more logic. And Julie, I'll let you describe it. Sure. So Kenny invites me to do these things that are new and unique and fun. And we have all these (laughs) great experiences together. And we've gotten to know each other through some of the Tuesday series that we're doing and the Friday series. And I think, you know, Kenny does, he brings a human touch to absolutely everything. And it's, it's, warm and fun and real. So you don't, I guess that my conclusion is 
whether you work for a product-driven company, like a SaaS mm-hmm. company, I worked at Afanova for a few years, which was a product company, or you work for a consulting or consultative sale company, both ways you can bring your personality and your style. It's just one starts with the product, really, and one starts a little bit more without a product to begin with. We're starting more with a blank sheet of paper with a lot of different kinds of tools that we bring in. So it's just a little different. One thing I just find really interesting and I wanted to tease out a reflection of mine over the years that it's really important to be genuine to who you are Mm. and to be authentic, right? And so everyone is a little bit different in their personality and how they work with their customers, how they work internally, just how they go about not only business, but life. And I just think authenticity is super important. So like always stay true to that, to who you are. Because I believe that like colleagues and customers can feel that, right? They know when you're being real and when you're not. I think that's such an important point. And I think salespeople get a bit of a bad rap about that. I don't know. What do you guys think? And Adam, I'm hugging all the questions here. So you're next after this one. Sorry. No, I get it. Go ahead. (laughs) But yeah, but I'm curious, do you guys feel like salespeople get a bad rap about not being authentic and really just, you know, it's about the sale? Shima, this is Kenny. I was on a call with a career-long researcher earlier this morning that had made a career change to be in sales about five years ago. And he was talking about how the stigma of sales and the used car salesman and how he never would ever think that he would ever want to do that. But then once he started he realized that he was helping people solve complex business problems. And it was really motivating to him to be a part of the you know, sale and then also the execution of the research that they do. But I also recently had a conversation with a potential opportunity to work with another client. And we met through a industry conference and connected on LinkedIn afterwards. And we were talking and communicating about having a meeting in the near future. And and she made a point to mention that she's not a buyer or a decision maker. And it really hurt my heart a little bit to hear that because I don't want people to think that I'm reaching out to them just because I want their business, because that's not true. I want to meet people. I want to engage. If I can help you, great. Or if you can help me, great. Whatever it is, it's nice to know that it can be that authentic like Ricky had mentioned, but also that human connection that we're really looking for at the end of the day. That's fantastic. Yes. Yeah, if I had a dollar for every like skeptical relationship I was in because I was in sales or so it's like, well, you're a salesperson. You're supposed to think that way, feel that way. I mean, I wouldn't have to be in sales anymore. Yeah, probably. Right. <laughs> uh, but it is kind of like that idea where everybody feels like they're getting sold to all the time. And it's, I think that goes into really how you got into sales. Mm-hmm. I mean, that's a question everybody asks, you know, and it never starts off where like, you know, when I was a kid, I used to dress up in a suit, like a a salesman, I carry out a briefcase. No, it's not like normal jobs or so fireman (laughs) or cowboy costumes, things like that. And it really is, has to be something that is like entrenched in you. Yeah. Right. It's like different things and different attributes and characteristics that you have. And so I'll start off asking Julie, like, what is, when you think about how you got into sales, is it a character, is it like an intangible inside of you or, or what are some of the characteristics mm-hmm. that go into being in sales? Kenny's story <laughs> and Ricky's are born of success. Mine's born of failure. So I was like perfect. <laughs> <laughs> I was perfect in my first career. And then in 2005, I actually had spectacular public failures, you know. Like what? So I was 28 days into my new job and 
like personally, my husband left me. Professionally, I was failing at my job. And, you know, it was crazy because I had never really had failures before. And I know this sounds silly, but like, really, I was a perfectionist. So I always refer to myself as a recovering perfectionist. And I started at CMB in 2005, switched quickly into sales after the failure of, you know, we were trying to do something that eh, we went in a different way. And, you know, it turns out to be fine. And I, you know, have been at CMB for what, 14 of the last 16 years, but it's been great. But I started in literally public shame and, you know, real self-introspection. So that was me and failure is a part of sales. I mean, we win every day, we lose every day. So that's awesome. I love that story. And no, it really is. It's like this fail fast. It's almost like an ability to think about like, to look at a situation, think, okay, do I fail or do I keep going here? Mm-hmm. It's like a, that qualifying is what we call it all the time, right? And that's what the, you tell like BDR is like the ability to qualify things that I think is a huge piece. Ricky, tell me a little bit about you. Like, do you have any characteristics that you think are just like intangibles for sales? Yeah, it's a good question, Adam. I reflecting on the conversation we just had a moment ago. Like if I look back at my younger self, I was that very idealistic person with a very negative perception of sales. Like I went to school for English language literature. I thought I'd go into education. I considered myself like very far from a business person. I had a very negative perception of that. But as I got into the professional world and did it, I found I really loved it and I was good at it. So that's helpful. But you asked about characteristics. And as I reflect on that, I think of things like leadership Mm. and ethics and you know, being a leader within your organization. I'm not saying this is the only way, but I was always like a team captain or like in the student body or just certain like history of leadership uh, that is serving well, not just for sales, but also for management, which we're talking about sales, but there's also sales management, which are uh, two different things. I think those are some of the characteristics that that have helped me, like wanting to succeed, wanting to do really well and wanting to help others uh, do the same. Teams are in flux, but you still have to get your research in field. Partnership with Paradigm Sample means you get our expert focus on every detail of your project. We have access to over 1 million consumers and many business professionals who are eager to voice their opinions and participate in traditional and non-traditional online studies, whether it comes to sampling, programming and hosting services or consultation we are agile and quick to meet your needs visit paradigmsample.com today and then kenny for you some you've worked in sales it's been a great career what are some of the things that you take what are some of the characteristics you have that you think have, have got you into sales I've always been just kind of career salesman. I remember I was reflecting back on this earlier today when I was a little kid, my aunt and uh, my family lives on the eastern end of Long Island in the Hamptons. And in the summertime, I would go out and live with my family out there. And my first job, I was eight years old working out of my aunt's hot dog truck. And whenever she had me on the truck, she would double her sales. So she would try and get me on that (laughs) truck every time she could. It's a little heartbreaking because she recently passed, but those memories are really, really fun. And I really do think that that was the start of building that trust and authenticity really quickly with people. And that's something that I've always done really well. I care about others. I'm really genuinely interested in others. And I think that 
throughout my career, I've just been a really, really, really hard worker. I wasn't afraid of being 100% commissioned for up until about five years ago. And it was just one of those things where I always felt like I could believe in myself to succeed if I put in the effort. And I think so some characteristics are, you know, tenacity, relationships, authenticity, building trust. And then also just one thing that I think clients and even me as when I put my buyer hat on that I appreciate is hyper responsive communication. Mm, That's a good one too. Yeah. I always feel like from a sales perspective, even account management perspective, you always want the client to feel like you're a heartbeat away. Like there's no long drawn protracted response time. So I appreciate that comment, Kenny, as well. I mean, we all know sales are, there's lots of ups and downs, right? Life as it is has ups and downs, but then your daily job has ups and downs. And love to just understand how do you guys weather the roller coaster? Because it is a roller coaster, right? High risk, high reward. Let's start with you, Julie, on that one. Sure. So, you know, we talk about never too high, never too low. It's, you know, I joke about the starting and failure, but that vulnerability really makes it for a great salesperson. And the whole idea of, you know, you have to have a lot of things in place so that you can weather the lows, you know, and have the highs. And it's, you have to have sunglasses if you're selling. <laughs> you also have to have umbrellas. Yes. You, can't, you have to have a portfolio and you have to, you know, we self, at CMB, we self-evaluate on every loss. We really like, you know, tend to agonize and try to figure out like, what could we do better? What could yeah. we do better? And, you know, we set a strategy that has worked for us. We've been, you know, we've tripled our size since I started. It's really exciting. Um, and, you know, we set a strategy and just keep focused. We try not to get all whipped up about one loss or one game, right. but we do dissect them. We do yeah. want to know what the heck we've you know, we might've done that missed the mark somehow. How about you, Ricky? How do you weather the storm? How do you coach people to weather the storm, the ups and downs? What, what are the, some of the kind of things that you think about? Do you do affirmations yeah, uh, every day? Julie, <laughs> uh, I don't know about affirmations every day, but with what Julie uh, was talking about really resonates with me is like, you can't be too attached to the highs and too brought down by the lows. Yeah. Like there's a little bit of a healthy detachment just to keep yourself sane and focused. And you have to believe in the process, right? So that commitment yeah. to the work, to the activity, kind of working through those slumps and celebrating the wins. Don't get me wrong. We're in sales to win and to help our customers and our companies win. Right. But peaks and valleys are a natural part of the job. And the only way to work through it that I've found is to work through it mm-hmm. and to stay committed to what helps you succeed in the first place. And that the, the future sales will, will come as long as you're doing the right thing. So when I found myself maybe in a little bit of a slump, I, I try to think about like, okay, what are the things that I'm doing now that I should stop doing that are like counterproductive to my success? Mm-hmm. What are the things I'm doing well that I need to keep doing? Uh, what are things I'm not doing at all that I need to start doing, right? And just trying to self-reflect and, and carry that forward. But uh, yeah, don't get too emotional one way or the other yeah. and, and commit to the work. Yeah. How about you, Kenny? Anything different from what these guys said? Any additional comments you want to make to managing the highs and lows of sales? Yeah, I think one of the mantras I learned really early on in my career is some will, some won't. So what? Who's next? Um, just keep grinding if, and trust the process, as uh, Ricky had mentioned. I started with Schlesinger this year during a global pandemic. A lot of the KPIs that were relevant last year are no longer relevant as they were previously. 
We've moved to a digital social selling world where we're going to conference, doing everything virtually. And I think that what we have to do is do, I don't know if you guys had seen the thread with Priscilla McKinney and Adam Jolly, where he had mentioned the I love you folder that um, his assistant had mentioned. And that's something that I've been implementing since I read that post. I went through and pulled a bunch of old messages and emails from clients that had shared how refreshing it was working with me and having a meeting with me because they were expecting a salesperson and they got a human. And, and those types of messages really, really keep me going when I'm in a slump. So Adam, I owe you a big thank you for that. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that's awesome. And it is like a great reminder to have on you. So you, you remember those things and you remember, and a lot of times, you know, it's hard, I think even now, like with the pandemic it might be even more because conferences are harder now, but it's hard to get that continuing education, you know? And so if you can go back and be like, okay, if I'm in a tough spot here. What have I done in the past that got me mm-hmm. something there? But one of the things that a huge thing that I heard today was Julie, you talked about kind of that fail fast mentality that you've had at CMB in the past, you know, and you've been there for, you know, for 14, about 16. And to me, when I think about CMB and the encounters I've had with people in the past, a lot of it is the culture of that company. Yeah. Right. And it's like culture isn't a gimmick. Culture is like an, a mindset of how we're going to attack things throughout the day. And I guess when I ask that all of you guys coming from different types of backgrounds, what type of culture do you look for? Or what culture keeps you at an organization, I think is another way to ask that question. So for me, the culture I had at Fidelity Investments, certainly the culture at CMB, as you know, super smart, highly collaborative, super congenial people, very flat structure. And we work together. I work for somebody one day, I lead them another. It's very fluid. And, you know, we don't have, um, at CMB, everything's kind of aligned. We don't have contradictory incentive programs. We work, you know, it's all, everything we do is arranged Mm -hmm. around the client. And so if somebody reaches out to me and somebody else, we don't, we're like, we don't care. We're just working in the way that advances the effort. And Ricky, talk to me a little bit about the culture that you've seen or maybe some cultures you've seen in the past that were difficult and then like where that culture is now at Lucid because I think people know the culture of Lucid. It's very, it's a very popular type thing and you can see like, I don't want to say there's like a Lucid person, you know, it's like, yeah, like a type thing, but like uh, it's definitely like is a brand. So how about that Lucid culture? Yeah, the Lucid mafia. No, it's a great question and culture is tough to put your finger on But I will say, quite honestly, it's something that attracted me to Lucid in the first place was this culture. And if I had to like synthesize it, I think it's a group of people who cares about each other, their community and their customers, right? And try to live that every day. Patrick's been really big on on the family and New Orleans. And it's really important. The community is really important. The research community, the local community, and the community of staff. And there's kind of this... A once at Lucid, always at Lucid. So whether you left voluntarily, involuntarily, whatever happened, uh, there's just a respect for the history that's really resonated with me. I guess the last thing I'll say is like, this is hard to get right, but and uh, we try every day, but you want like type A people who really want to succeed and push each other, but you don't want jerks. Right? Yeah. So like, that's like, I'm in awe of my colleagues all the time because they're so smart and so driven and they're always challenging me and each other but like 
as long as you can do that in a healthy way, uh, that can be really productive. It could also be very destructive if, uh, if it's unhealthy, right? Which we've probably seen examples of that through our careers. Yeah, for I understand that. And Kenny, last with you, I think anyone that's ever met Steve Schlesinger like walks away feeling like they could probably run through a wall at some point, right? <laughs> like he he will boost you up, and he's kind of has that ultimate like coach mentality. And you and I have talked about you know my relationships with, with Ted and Isaac, just like an awesome culture driving situation. Tell us, was that a huge part for you when you went to Schlesinger, especially during a pandemic? Well, you know, I, I didn't know about the pandemic when I started. <laughs> oh, that's right. I started at the beginning of the year, but still, yes, it was a huge, huge, huge factor in my decision. And it is hard to get a feel for culture in the hiring process because, you know, you they're selling themselves and you're selling yourself. So it's hard to know, you know, what is going to be reality when you start with the company. And I can say when I started with Schlesinger Group, I could not have been happier. I felt like I landed home. And working for a company that's been around as long as Schlesinger has with a reputation as well as it does where, you know, going to conferences, Steve plays, knows everybody plays well in the sandbox. All the others in the industry have respect for Schlesinger Group and, of course, Steve as well and the rest of our executive leadership team and company as a whole. But it's been really, really exciting to be at a new company and see how they've faced one of the most difficult times in history that many of us have seen. And adding mental health days and giving a half day to Mm -hmm. vote and giving a vacation days in Q4 and just those little things that they understand that we're dealing with the biggest election of our lifetime. We're dealing with a global pandemic. We all have personal issues and we're struggling professionally in many ways, you know, going from being a top performer to working twice as hard for a quarter of the results. Mm. I feel like company knows that, we're working really hard and they trust the process and they don't put that top-down pressure that I felt elsewhere. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, that's a great testament to the culture. So Julie, Kenny, Ricky, thank you so much for joining us today. Adam, thank you so much for being my co-host on this episode and the series. I really appreciate it. No, this was a lot of fun. I loved learning just different aspects and just different roles of people in data and market research, how sales, not just how they got there, but how they stay there, you know? Yeah. Yeah. What keeps them there, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. Right. Thank you guys so much. Appreciate it. Thanks for the opportunity. And honestly, if I follow you all on LinkedIn and all that. Thanks for putting out all this content and like, it's bringing some interest and culture to the industry. Oh, thank you. <laughs> you guys have kind of put a lot of good stuff out there. So appreciate it. Never have done something like this before. So sincerely appreciate oh, yay. Uh, the opportunity. Hopefully we're a good guest. <laughs> yeah, you guys were great. It was fantastic. It was great. Yeah. You should catch us on our bad days when we're griping about the podcast, but today's a good day. It's Friday afternoon. Yeah. And it's Friday <laughs> afternoon. Yeah. Thank you. Have well, a great weekend. Thank you for tuning in to Data Gurus Podcast. This episode has ended, but your exploration doesn't have to. Head over to www.datagurusepodcast.com and access all the resources and links mentioned in today's show. You'll also find bonus content available to our podcast listeners exclusively. That's www.datagurusepodcast.com. Until next time, be bold, be brave, and be fearless.